the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news Well, today I'm going to do part two of the sermon I began last week. I'm the bread of life. As we are now on the sixth part of our 13 parts series on a portrait of Jesus. Last week, I gave you a sermon and talked about two things that Jesus said, two phrases he used, food which perishes and food which endures. And before we get started today, I'd like to pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to preach your word. What a blessing it is to hear your word proclaimed. I pray today, Lord, our ears will truly be open to the word of God as Jesus deals with this topic about being the bread of life. What it really means as he wrestled with the questions from the crowd and, and the two responses that he received I pray today, Lord, that you'll help me have a clear voice, a clear mind as I preach forth this word, that I will preach it in boldness but in humility. And Lord, I'm truly grateful for my brothers and sisters, and I pray that all of us, Lord, will have our ears open to what the word of God teaches us today. For this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In today's scripture, Jesus responds to five questions and two responses from the crowd regarding his statement, I and the bread of life. I really have to think when he began this whole thing, he was not going to expect to have to preach a sermon like this that he did in John chapter 6 and deal with the questions that he was going to receive. But the first thing we see here is that the question, as we'll see in verses 25 through 27, John chapter 6, 25 through 27, read, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me because you saw the sign, but, uh, I'm sorry, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. They asked the question, oh, oh, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which translates reads this, oh, Jesus, we're hungry. Feed us again, just like you did yesterday. That's what they translate to. I bet mean, you didn't know that, did you? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man would give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Don't make physical food your primary ambition. After all, that's why you're back again today. It's because you're eating physical food, but physical food perishes, Jesus is telling them. Instead, look for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus said, there's the food you really need. In fact, I offer it to you as a gift. You don't even have to work for it. It's a food that will forever satisfy that deep internal craving which you've never been able on your own to satisfy. And even though Jesus had just told them he wanted to give it to them, they were so caught up in their pharisaical mindset of the day, the legalistic mindset which taught that you could work for God's acceptance 
and earn it by somehow being good enough. They come to the next question. What must we do to do the works of God? Really? Verse 28. Then they said, what shall we do? That we work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Now let's not jump too quickly in criticism of these people. They wanted the spiritual food. And they're willing to do anything to get it. But Jesus told them it's not a matter of doing anything. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. That's all you can do. That's all you need to do. The only work which cuts any mustard before God is when you by obedient faith put your trust wholly and completely in the one whom the Father sent. Now a lot of people want to take this verse. They want to take this verse. When Jesus said, this is the work that you believe in him whom he sent, and think that's all I have to do is believe. And you know what I have to say to that? Amen! But what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe everything Jesus says? Or are you, all you're doing is believing that he exists? Oh... People out there will tell you all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Uh -huh. Oh wait. Doesn't it say in James even the demons believe and tremble? I think it does. Then the demons are saved. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. Come on. Jesus said, you believe in me and whatever I say, you believe. So when Jesus says believe, it's obedient faith. It's faith that's into action. That whatever Jesus tells me to do, that's what I'll do. Wow. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, God supplies the gift of salvation, starting with obedient faith. There's no work that you and I can do to earn God's salvation. None. Isn't that interesting? Jesus never preached that. The apostles never preached that. If it was true, we could come up with all kinds of works to do to please God. We could go to Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. He who believes and is baptized, it says, shall be saved. But he who believes and is not baptized shall be condemned. And then there's people that want to argue, well, it doesn't say believe and not be baptized shall be not be saved. Why does it have to? <laughs> you don't believe baptism is nothing but taking a bath. So let's, let's do it. You want to do it by works? Let's do it by works. He who believes and is baptized and does a hundred push-ups and runs up the Mount Everest, turns around and runs back down, then when they get down there, they uh, 
fill in the blank. Because we're doing works, right? To get saved. He never says any of that. He says it's a gift. I'm giving it to you. You have to accept it with obedience. These people weren't dummies. They knew that by those words, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. So that leads to our next question. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What works will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What miraculous sign? I gotta catch up, don't I? Golly, you guys will just let me ramble on. That's alright, there were no blanks to fill in, right? What miraculous signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Jesus, if you want us to believe that you are the one who is mightier than Moses, then do one better than Moses. He brought manna from heaven. Let's see what you can do for Jesus, for us, Jesus. Isn't that incredible? They had watched Jesus still the storm. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him restore sight in the blind. What more proof could they want? Why? Just the day before, he fed over 5,000 people with one little sack lunch. Now, I don't know about you, but I get the sense they are, were just needling Jesus in order to get another handout. They weren't interested in identifying the Messiah. They wanted another meal. Show us a sign, Jesus. Show us what you can do. The night before, they'd gone to bed with full stomachs, and now all that's been forgotten. How could they forget such a wonderful miracle? And yet... Just like the Jews, you and I tend also to forget what the Lord has already done. We approach his throne with a sort of what have you done for me lately attitude. You know, God proves himself wonderfully faithful, doesn't he? He helps us conquer some unconquerable problems. And then when tomorrow we face a brand new set of problems and we go to him and say, God, if you're really there, help. And we sense him screaming from heaven, what do you mean if I'm here? You know, sometimes I can't help but think how upset God must get with us when we use the certain words. If. <laughs> I think that's one little word we ought to take and roll up and throw out of our language when we're talking to God. God is who God is. We don't have to ask if. If you are. Or if it's in your will. <laughs> no, let God's will be God's will. <laughs> It's more, if we want to listen, isn't it? He can say, what about yesterday? What did I do for you yesterday? What about last week? What about last year? It's amazing, but when it comes to the divine assistance of God, it's unbelievable how forgetful we can become. I saw a man whose daughter was healed of a brain tumor when she was 12 years old. And we all praise God for that incredible miracle. It was a miracle. The brain tumor just popped out when they did the surgery. Dr. Ben Carson, you know who he is. He said it's not supposed to happen that way. He said we know how that happened. So the only way that happened, that's through God's intervention, God's prayer, prayer to God, and he took care of it. I know because a Christian I know was on his staff performing that surgery. 
couple years later, the tumor developed again and she died. Well, if dad was praising him, praising God when she was 12, he's now cursing God when she's 14. What changed? God changed? If should not be in our vocabulary when it comes to God. You know why David was able to kill Goliath? You know what it was that gave him the confidence to march out into that valley with no greater arsenal than a slingshot and some stones? It was because burned deeply into David's memory was the vivid reality of victories past. He remembered how he was able to, through the power of God, to take on a lion and kill that lion. He did the same thing to the bear. And when his friends tried to hold him back, David said, look, the same God that took care of the lion will handle this overgrown Philistine. And David had power because he hadn't forgotten. He remembered what God had done for him, but not these people. You say, you're the Messiah, Jesus, prove it. Moses gave us bread. Do him one better. Jesus, maybe we, we can believe you then. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives him the, the world. In verse 34 it says, And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. Goodness. What do they really want? You know, Moses didn't give you that bread. God did. He said, that same God has now delivered you from the genuine article, the true bread, delivered you to the genuine article, the true bread himself in the human form. Then he replied, sir, from now on, give us this bread. We want that bread, Jesus. You're, you've convinced us. Give us that stuff right now. You see, it still hadn't clicked. They were still thinking about their stomachs. Jesus, feed us some more of that bread today. And Jesus declared in verse 35, Ah! And the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. There. He said it. There was no mistake in his meaning now. I am that bread. And if you come to me, you will never again go hungry. You will find satisfaction like the world cannot provide. Because when you partake of me, you will never again know what it is to be spiritually hungry. Look at that word never. That's a big word, isn't it? It struck me as I studied that verse just how big that little word is. We're talking never, folks. The bigness of the word is enlarged when you consider who is making the promise. Suppose someone walked up to you and promised to give you a million dollars. Now, would you respond to that well, it depends. Depends on what? Well, it depends on who made the promise. Well, what do you mean? Well, for one, does he even have a million dollars? For another, is he telling the truth? And beyond that, is he a fruitcake? Now, if I were the one making the promise, you'd probably smile kindly, put me, pat me on the shoulder and say, Tom, I think you need some time off. And I would say, you know you're probably right. And I might say, well, why would you say that? And they say, because there is no way that I could make good on that promise. 
And I don't have the capacity to pull it off to give you a million dollars. But here's God in the flesh. He says, you come to me and you will never be hungry again. And then when you remember that God has never forgotten a promise, that there never has been a time when he has failed to make good on his word, that a promise from God is as good as already done, then it really means something when he says, never. When Jesus said never, that's exactly what he means. And we've been given many promises in the scripture on never. Psalm 55, 22. David said, cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. John 4, 14, to the woman at the well, Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. And who can forget Hebrews 11, 5, or excuse me, 13, 5, when we read wonderfully reassuring promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. How hungry are you? Spiritually. Grab a hold of the word of the bread of life and watch how full you can become. Guess what? The more you read this, the fuller you'll become and it won't be gluttony. You can stuff yourself full with the bread of life. You can make sure your thirst for the bread of life, for the water of life is Without question, you won't be thirsty because you'll have taken this with big gulps. All you have to do is stick close to Jesus. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty. And you'll never be alone because he's right there with you. Never, never, never. They ask the question, what miraculous signs then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? And Jesus told him what he would do. Next. They ask the question, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How could he now say, I, I came down from heaven? Verse 41, the Jews murmured, grumbled against him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he now says, I came down from heaven? Really? They might be saying, you know, we were in Sabbath school class together and we remember him in shop class. We remember him building carpentry for his kitchen, or our kitchen, and now he has the audacity to claim to be the Messiah. No way! Who does he think he is? Jesus knew who he was. He was the... To all the naysayers who refuse to accept who he was, he's a demon possessed, he's a prophet, he's a teacher, he's a carpenter, he's a whatever blank if you want to put in that word, or whatever word you want to put in the blank. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, how about if I told you Jesus is the bread of life? Oh, we, we're talking about that right now. We At least you got that one right, right? Who else is Jesus? Well, how about Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And Jesus is the great shepherd. 
And Jesus is the true vine. And Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. And Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is Messiah. And Jesus is the door. Oh, I could go on and on and on, right? That's what we're preaching 13 weeks about. Painting a portrait of who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And that's who Jesus wants them to know who he is. Oh, yeah, the Pharisees can say all they want. Well, now he says they come down. But you see what that, that's what I like. It says the Jews began to murmur and grumble. They didn't want to hear who he really was. And then we get to ver or uh, question number five. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Wow. And Jesus answered them in verse 43 and said to them, Do not murmur again among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at that last day. And it is written by the prophets that they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he who has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. And this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Meaning, hold on, time out, we're not cannibals. You see, they were still taking Jesus' word literally. They were so hooked into the material realm that all they could think was, You mean we had to eat him to be saved? Ooh! Have you ever talked to a non-believer about spiritual things? Only to have him look at you like you're talking in a foreign language. You talk about a man's soul, not just his body. You refer to man's deepest spiritual needs, not just his physical needs. And the poor guy looks at you with a blank stare that says, what in the world are you talking about? It just doesn't make any sense. To him, he's so preoccupied with the world that all he can do, uh, understand is the material, certainly not the spiritual. And that's what happened here. So look what Jesus clarifies in verse 53. He said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Oh man, now it's getting real crazy, ugly, nasty, ooey, isn't it? Some commentators tell us that Jesus was referring here to the Lord's Supper. And certainly the imagery is strikingly parallel to our observance of that remembrance meal, but Jesus hadn't even instituted the Lord's Supper yet. And that wouldn't happen for another year. No, what Jesus is saying here is that we must fully appropriate him into our lives. We are to symbolically eat him, to allow him absolute entrance into the very core of our lives, and promises that when we do that, he will sustain us. The way that, that he will supply us with all the necessary strength we need to endure. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
If you allow me to fully enter your life, I will nourish you and empower you for all that life will bring your way. If you don't eat of me, however, he says in verse 53, I'm sorry, 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven. Now as your fathers ate the man and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. What striking imagery. We are not called to simply dabble in Jesus' things. We are to ingest him. He comes to us not desiring to be a mere priority. He demands preeminence. I'm afraid that much of modern day Christianity has reduced the call to come to Christ into much less than that. We've taken the call to fully eat Christ into some easily followed formula. One, ritualistic prayer. Two, ceremonial dip. Or three, a carefully worded confession. And we stand in our pulpits and ask people to, to consider accepting Christ. And the picture we paint it suggests that Jesus is beckoning, even pleading for a sinner to respond. But when Jesus offered an invitation, that's not how he handled it. He said, repent and follow me. He said, deny yourself. He said, take up your cross. This isn't some mamby-pamby little religion. Jesus requires his children to sacrifice just like he did. Walk in the footsteps where he walked. And he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You must allow me absolute entrance into your very self. You must wholly and completely surrender to me. Only then will you possess eternal life. Only then will you possess the food that endures. Only then will you ingest the bread which alone can fully satisfy. sermon that Jesus preached that day. And a lot of preachers have come since then preaching similar sermons. And it always comes down, when the sermon's over, what's the response? This day there were two responses Jesus' message. And those two responses happen every time his message of salvation is repeated. I don't know how many times I've preached in 30-some years, but it's always the same. And JB, he's preached many sermons. It's always the same. Steve's preached many sermons. Same two responses as today. The first is this one. That's the defiant rejection the defiant rejection, verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? In other words, who can accept it? Up until this time, Jesus has built quite a following. Huge crowds thronged after him, longing to watch his miracles, not to mention the free meals. So much did they enjoy his sideshow that they graciously tolerated his preaching until he started talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, accept his control, allowing him ultimate lordship. And that's when they said, who can accept this? 
But Jesus, if you want to heal people, if you want to help the poor, if you want to talk about world peace and justice for all men, we're with you. But Jesus, don't ask me to live in my life according to your plan. Don't expect me to plan my future according to your perspective. Keep this talk up, Jesus, and I'm out of here. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Chapter 6 of John, chapter 6, verse 66, has to be some of the saddest words in the scripture. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Sealing, sealing their doom. And on the day of Judgment when Jesus or when God's making judgment, final judgment. I don't know, just somehow I think in the scriptures those words will be read. Remember, you were standing in the crowd and you questioned Jesus and you turned your back on him and walked away. You know, there's something about the claims of Jesus that forces people to draw conclusions about their convictions. Many people claim faith in God. They claim to appreciate and follow the teachings of Scripture, but when push comes to shove, when they try to nail down what they really believe of Jesus, people start stuttering, stammering like crazy. You see, this book is filled with wonderful, encouraging promises, statements of hope and affirmation. People love that about the Bible, and that's what attracts them to these pages. But this book also clearly and fundamentally identifies Jesus Christ as Lord of all. He's the only gate through which man can find salvation. He's the only author and sustainer of all life. And it's at that point that people start dropping like flies. I remember some years ago, Hillary Clinton standing on national TV stating these words when she was asked about her faith. She said this, I have a silent faith. And if I'd have been there, I would have wanted to ask this question. Show me that in the scripture. Jesus had a silent faith. He came to earth and kept his mouth shut and didn't say anything. And show me where his children, his followers, are supposed to do the same thing. We're ambassadors. That means we're to take the word wherever we go. But if that's the way it is to be, that's the way it has to be. Jesus is not a mamby-pamby, lily-livered, shallow, lovey-huggy, rubber-backbone messiah. He's not some deity you can take out to play, have a good time with. Then when you're through, you put him back in his box. He's the bread of life, your only source for eternal life. He's the spiritual food, the only food that really satisfies. And if you refuse to ingest him into your life, you have no life in you. You will never know what it is to really live. All you'll do is continue to exist. But thank God there was always the second response. The second response was the confident acceptance. Lord, to whom shall we go? Verse 67, Then Jesus said to the twelve, 
Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter, praise God for Simon Peter. He answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a great confession there Peter made that day. You don't tell Jesus, don't tell me Jesus doesn't care what you do with him. He cares plenty. Do you see the order? It always happens that way. First must come faith. Then and only then does God prove himself to be true. But we want it to work the other way. God, I'll believe if. And God says, you'll believe then. He says, I offer you eternal life through Jesus Christ. You cannot accept it or... You can either accept it or reject it, but it's all by faith. The proof won't come until you believe. And Peter said, Lord, ever since the first day, I believed you have continually proven yourself over and over and over again. I'm not about to go anywhere but wherever you go. A man by the name of Pascal said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in all of us, and nothing fits but God. Have you ever filled your God-shaped vacuum? Has your heart found rest in the Lord? Let me put it this way. If the very foundation of your life was torn from your grasp, what would hold you together? To whom would you turn? Where would you go to find peace and comfort and strength to carry on? If you don't know Jesus, you have nothing to hold on to. No one to turn to, no place to hide, but Jesus offers himself to you as a gift. And he said, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will have everlasting life. He who comes to me will never again go hungry. And he who receives me will never again be alone. Do you believe that Jesus is the bread of life? Have you accepted him? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Master? Now see, we'll have, maybe you're all Christian, so technically there's no rejections here. But if there's someone here who may not have known, know Jesus the way the scriptures teach, then there's going to be two responses today. Rejection or acceptance. Just like every sermon about Jesus that's preached. I will say this to close. Sometimes people, probably most of the time, we put on a mask when we walk in here. We only want the other people to see who we are with the mask on. How you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. Take the mask off your right out. Brother ain't doing so great today. But no, usually we, how you doing? Doing fine. We only let people with so far in, don't we? So when I ask the question, hey, you know, we all can be Christians here. Hey, brother, way, way to go. Good sermon. Now I love those Jesus sermons. When we take off the mask, Maybe, just maybe, we're not living the Christian life that we should be. So we've had our struggles. 
We've had our stumbles. Well, I come on Sunday, put my mask on, but what am I like from Monday to Saturday? Well, that's what repentance comes in. Oh, we may have been baptized into Christ and we, we accepted Jesus years ago and we're trying to live that life, but lately maybe we just haven't been doing it the way we know Jesus wants us to do. He knows it. Maybe you need to know it. It's never too late. You don't have to come up here and confess that, but you can repent right where you are, asking God to help you get through the doldrums that maybe you're facing not living the life the way he wants you to live. Softly and tender, like Jesus is calling, I think is our... Right? 389. 427. Is that what's on the thing? Okay, it never got changed. Hey, we can, we'll do that. We can do that one, Ted. We probably know that one by heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. We'll just do verse 1. If you have a decision to make this morning, you come as we say. Go ahead, Ted. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I sure pray that that's true. We have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Let's pray. Pray, we pray, great God, for the blessings upon us, for the words that Jesus spoke. And that truly we will remember those words. We have decided to follow Jesus. Just like Peter said, no turning back. For where shall we go? For Jesus holds the words to eternal life. Let us remember those words. Lord, let us remember those words in our life let us remember those words as we share the gospel with others. But let us reach out for those who are like verse 66. All oh, they may have heard the words of Jesus in the past and they don't really want to give their life. Let us be able to reach out to them and say the words that might lead them back to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to ever be a shining light for others. And now as we gather together for our fellowship dinner, and Lord, I pray that it will surely be a time of encouragement and fellowship and uplifting for us all. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this sun for a part of the former moon.